You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Now, let me ask you guys this. Of course, you guys probably knew this was coming. Uh, how many of you guys have already made your New Year's resolutions? Anybody make them already? Okay, I got, I got one back there. Anybody planning on making them? Goals. Okay, you're going to call them goals, resolutions, whatever you want to call them. Uh, how many guys, just out of curiosity, have made them and have already broken them? Anybody? Like, that's, that's ambitious. You, you made them before the new year started, and you broke them before the new year started. That's pretty cool. So, happy new year, almost, um, is, is the, the thought process here in my head as we get moving. Uh, I want to be able to think about the new year. I, I'm not a resolution guy. How many people, like, refuse to do resolutions? Like, you're like, nope, not going to do them. Because it's just pointless, all right? or whatever. Maybe you're just anti-resolution. I don't know. But every time the new year comes around, I do think about the year past throughout the, you know, the break. And uh, before I go back to school, I always think about what I'm going to do different in the classroom or what I'm going to do different this year. And so I don't do resolutions, but I do think about the last year, and I do think about what's going on. <clears throat> and as I was doing it this year, I knew I would be preaching today, and I started thinking about what would it look like if I did it in a way that was biblically based. I, I don't know any other way to say it. Like, maybe if I looked at the Bible and got some ideas, and, and then I started thinking about a couple guidelines, verses, and so you'll see my thinking here in a second, but I want to do this first just for fun. Let's look at the top 10 New Year's resolutions of last year. Okay, so here they are. They should be up there. Eat better. How many guys plan to eat better this year? Like, I plan to eat more. Um, I don't know about better. Uh, better is probably a lost cause with me. I don't eat well um, and probably never will. Exercise more. Anybody got that on their to-do list? Okay, a couple of you guys. We usually spend less money. Anybody got money on their list of things to do better this year? Um, I think I've had that on my list to do better every year, and I think I just get progressively worse. Uh, self-care. Uh, read more books. Learn a new skill. Get a new job. Make new friends. Get a new hobby. Focus more on appearance. Now, here's what I want you to do with your neighbors or whoever's next to you. What do all of these have in common? All right, go ahead, talk. What do all of these have in common? Okay, come on. What do you got? Anything over here? It's about yourself. How many said these were all about yourself? Okay, I, I was thinking about this. I'm like, make new friends. is, But you really don't make new friends for the other person hey, you need a friend. Like, nobody does that. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, it's, it's more you make new friends because you want to expand your horizons. So all of these are about you. And I started thinking about how counter biblical economy, God's economy, this is. Like, God's, if you, if you read throughout the Bible, you get a sense that God is not concerned with you being about you. He is concerned with you, but he's not concerned with you thinking about you. Does that make sense? And, and, and as I go through all my thoughts and all the things I want to improve, they really truly are, are focused on me. And, and I get in a dilemma there. Because in order to affect other people, I have to be thinking about me. I have to be thinking about how I'm going to change and how I'm going to do things differently. But is it a focus to make me better? Or is it a focus to know God and others better, right? And so I want you to watch this video. Uh, it should be, uh, how many guys are YouTubers? My kids are like avid like YouTubers. They YouTube more than they do anything else. They have all these people they follow. They'll be talking like, yeah, what's the name of somebody you follow, Chloe? She's, she's on the spot. Don't be nervous. Okay, she's nervous. What? Okay, the Merrill twins. They're, they're cute. All right, so a little boring, but cute. All right, so the Merrill twins. She follows the Merrill twins, right? And they'll watch them and do stuff. And they'll always be talking. They're like, yeah, the Merrill Twins. And I'm like, who are they? And they're like, they're YouTubers. I'm like, okay, because YouTube knows all, um, apparently. Uh, but I follow some people. I didn't know I was a YouTuber, but I follow some people. And this, this little girl, is, I, I, every time a new video comes out, I catch it. Um, it cracks me up, and she's really cute. And so I'm going to let you watch her talk about the new year. I have a problem with New Year's resolutions, not because they often fail or because they're too difficult, and not because I'm bad at them either. I mean, I've only been alive for four new years. No, I have a problem with resolutions because people think that that's it. It's for one time to change. 
Now, don't get me wrong, we definitely all need change. I have no idea how to ride a bicycle, I know, but I have no idea what I'm toilet for. And some of you, yeah, you probably should get out of the house more, but one big decision probably isn't going to do it. Sorry. So, now what? Flush your resolutions down the toilet to run my little brother can't use? Of course not. Keep your resolutions but go easy on yourself. Will you change? Maybe, but probably won't happen in one big moment. It'll happen in thousands of little moments. Every time you choose to forgive or slow down or be grateful or stay calm each little moment that you choose what's right instead of what's easy. Faith instead of doubt. Love instead of hate. That's where every change happens. Even if you fail one or two or thirty times, it's okay. You've got thousands of more little moments ahead of you. You'll get better. So happy new year. God bless. And I'm off to ask my dad to get a bike. If they're all a pony. Bye. She's so cute. All right. Anyways, she's got like a billion of these little things. Her parents have been like YouTubing her every month. Like there's a new one up. And so I don't know why I got onto that, but I did. Uh, a little weird, but still. So... I like what she says, though, and I, you know, even though she's four, I'm pretty sure her parents probably helped her out with that little monologue, but just this idea of, and try to make one big change, trying to continually think about what we're doing and who we are in God and in Christ, right? And as we look at God and we look at Christ and we look at the economy God has set up for us, that we're more concerned with knowing him, with knowing his purpose in our lives and less concerned with the things that, could, could, could I just be honest with you? Like, no matter what you're pursuing, if it's not God, you're not going to be satisfied, right? If money is the thing you're going to fix, and you're fixing it for money's sake to have more, you're never going to have enough, right? You look at these guys that pursue money for a living, Bill Gates, you know, all, uh, Warren Buffett, all these guys, and they've gotten to the point where they've got so much money, they just give it away, and then they go earn more, and they don't know what to do. They're at a loss, right? Um, exercising is not bad. Being in shape is not bad. I have a shape. Um, I like it. All right. It's round. Okay. But if I exercise and the point of life is making me look better, everybody I know that's a gym rat is never satisfied with the way they look. I look at them and go, dang, that's a lot of abs you've got right there. (laughs) Right. And they're like, yeah, but I need more. And I'm like, but where would you put them? And they, (laughs) it's just, you know, I've got abs. They're just I just like to cover them up. I'm, I'm modest. Um, there's nothing we're going to pursue on this earth that is eventually going to give us satisfaction. So then, where do we turn? And, and the first place I turned, believe it or not, was the Ten Commandments. But I did it for this reason. So if you read this verse with me, uh, you can look it up. It's in Matthew 22. Jesus replied. They said, what should we do? What's the greatest thing we should focus on? And Jesus replied this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This last statement is is crazy. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And I think to myself, well, they never said them, right? Like these two commandments aren't clearly spoken in the Old Testament. And it's because Jesus is taking the Ten Commandments and he's making it simple. He's like, instead of focusing on ten, let's just make it real simple. The first four are about loving God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. We're going to go through them here in a second. And the next six are about loving other people and treating them appropriately within God's economy. And so I thought, well, what does that, how does that play in? And I thought as we go forward, the first place we should start with the new year <clears throat> is remembering the ten. Chloe, get that for me. Thank you. Sorry, I'm a little uh, scratchy. Um, and Taco Bell always helps. All right. So we're going to start with number one. Do you, do you guys know the Ten Commandments? What's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart is not the first commandment. <laughs> so all you guys who said that wrong. <laughs> no, there's no judgment here. Um, 
The first one is you shall have no other gods before me, right? Followed closely, and I put these two together. You shall have no other gods before me, and don't make idols. Those are the first two, right? And I put them together. Um, these commandments are about God only, God first, nothing but God, right? So when Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, he's saying there is no other choice. There, there, this is not a pluralistic world. This is a monotheistic world. There is only God. You can pursue or love anything else you want, but you're not going to be satisfied and you're not going to be okay. And the boundaries for your life are not going to be set correctly unless God is the focus in everything. That's a hard commandment. I'm not saying this stuff is going to be easy. As you're looking at the new year, making God the God of everything, if he's not at the moment, is difficult. It is a lifelong journey. But it is the most satisfying thing you'll ever do. As God starts to take over and, and God is before everything, and you're not putting anything else before God or making anything else an idol, something that you, and the way I define idol, I don't think too many of us in here probably bow down to any, like get in our rooms and like bow down to the iPhone, right? You're like, oh, iPhone, right? In this world of science and technology, we're a little bit more subtle than that. So I'm going to define an idol as anything that you give more time to or more focus to than God. Right? It's not a bad thing to have an iPhone. It's not a, well, it kind of is because they're the evil empire. Android is better. But um, it's not bad to exercise. It's not, it's not bad to watch your money. It's not bad to do any of these things. But when they become the focus and it distracts from God, they've become an idol. That's what God's saying. Don't put your trust, your faith, your hope in things that aren't God. Simple enough, right? And so now we go to the second one. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Number two. Now, how many of you were going up just meant this meant you couldn't say the bad cusses. Like that's like my dad had levels for cursing. There was like non-cursing, and then there was what he called strong language, which let me say a couple words that I can't repeat here in church, but they weren't bad. They were just they were like donkey, but the other form. And I could say hell because it was in the Bible. Those were strong words. Like, so you could use those in certain situations and not get in trouble in my home. And then there was cursing. Those were the, the, the ones where you used God's name. Those were like absolutely forbidden. Those would get me a whooping, right? And uh, talk about how God didn't like that. So that's what I thought this commandment was all about. But can we stretch it a little bit into, uh, I think, where it was meant to go? which is how often do you pray for things expecting God to be your galactic slot machine? You know, that's taking God's name in vain. When we pray for things and say, hey, God, my will over your will, we're kind of taking his name in vain. We're kind of using him. And I think God wants more of us this year than to just pray to him for things we need, pray for things we want. Those things are okay to pray about, but when that's all it is, we're not understanding the role of God. We're using God in vain. <clears throat> and so I start to think about this, and it forms the way I think. It forms the way I want to think about next year. And, and then it leads to this, keep the Sabbath holy. That's number four. Church is important. God knows taking this day off and taking a day to recognize who he is and include him in your family and include him in what you're doing and focus on him for just a day out of the week is really, really important. Right? I, I think growing up, for me, church was optional. We believed in God, and church was something we did. <clears throat> but God, throughout the Old and New Testament, has something about us gathering together, taking a day off, and just taking a break and worshiping him. And, and it's important in the economy. I don't always understand it, but I can't deny it. Taking that day off recharges me for the week. Taking that day off, focusing on God, gets me focused on where I need to be. The Sabbath is really important. And so I add that to my list. The next one, all you, all you kiddies, listen up. Number five, honor thy father and mother. Okay, all you adults, listen up. <laughs> honor thy father and mother. It, there's no time limit on this, right? This is an interesting thing. Now, keep in mind, the Israelites have just left Egypt, right? Egypt was a place where all the rules were set, even though they were kind of anti-Israelite. All the rules were set. The governors were there. The people, there was laws, all that kind of stuff. And they're out in the desert with nothing. And this is the first set of laws they get. 
Isn't it interesting that God didn't do all the other stuff that comes with the laws of how to rule the people of Israel until he set forth the boundaries under which they would operate? These first 10 are exactly that, the boundaries under which we're going to operate. And, and he finds it very, very important to recognize the authority of the family. That when you're young, this is the authority that raises you and guides you because plain and simple, they've had experiences you don't have. And God has given them those experiences and God has given them you as a responsibility and the two meet. Now, parents aren't perfect, but you're supposed to honor them not because of who they are, but of who God has put them in a position to be. And as you get older, this is kind of a way we take care of each other. In, in James, it says you kind of know you're a Christian when you take care of orphans and widows, right? God throughout the Bible has said, take care of those that can't, and he sets it up very early with parents. As your parents get older, we're supposed to care for them. Isn't that, an, isn't that crazy that in this list of commandments, he takes time to focus in the fifth one on the family? These five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten are all about how we treat people. This is the second part of what God is saying, love others well. And he starts with the family. Start at the family. Before you can love others well, your family needs to be a focus. And then he moves on. And these others we're going to move through a little bit quickly. But thou shalt not kill. Stop killing people this year. All right? Stop it. Okay? Stop it. <laughs> but this is important, right? There's a distinction here. The better word is murder, if you're reading the Hebrew. Um, there, is a, there is actually a biblical time to, to kill, okay, that it's acceptable. Um, not a sin, per se. I don't think it's ever a good thing. But it's talking about murder here. It's talking about the fact of how we, and Jesus is going to take a step further, even how you think. Because if you're going to be honest sitting in here, and if you're over a certain age, even in your teenage years, you've probably thought to yourself, I really like to kill this person right now. Have you? I know I, know I have. I, I, I think what stops me is social norms and, like, knowing it's wrong and, and all the consequences, right? Like, that automatically comes into play and you don't kill people. Nobody does, like, nobody here so far that I know of has done that. But, but the reality is I've been mad enough to think that process through in times. Just, you know, I'm, I'm not homicidal. Don't worry, you're all safe. But Jesus is saying, hey, even to your thoughts, but let's take it a step further. How many guys have sabotaged people at work? How many guys have gossiped about people in order to take them down to a place where you find that they're handicapped in such a way? It, it, it's the same concept, right? It's just at what level are you going to find it's okay? Like, we've all pretty much agreed we're not actually going to go out and kill people. That's, that's definitely a level hopefully all of us have just agreed to. All right, but as we take it down a step, how many of you guys will do whatever's necessary at work to win? How many of you guys will talk about people in order to make yourself better and them worse? What level have you accepted this destroying people to? And, and that's something I think all of us at some level can probably work on. Um, thou shalt not commit adultery. God takes time to say, hey, the family unit, again, is very important. Don't commit adultery. Don't think about it. Don't let your mind go there. Focus on the person you committed to. Shall not steal, right? This has to do with taking, looking at other people's stuff and saying, there's a lot of this going on in the next couple. Looking at other people's stuff and saying, I want that. I'm not content with where I'm at. I've got to have that. I can't get it, so I'll take it. And, and this goes, any, it goes anywhere from actually stealing stuff to cheating on your taxes, Right? It's the government. They're not real. Okay? I'll just, I'll just you know, get an extra little, little deduction here, right? IRS won't catch it. That's stealing, <laughs> right? And, and we do it. We justify it because, because there's a way to do it. And you can get away with it. And we just do. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. But it goes further than don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't leave out truth. Like, it really, what it should say here is embrace the truth. Embrace integrity. I tell my students all the time, your, your word is very valuable. When you tell me something, I take you at your word. And as soon as I find that your word is not accurate, I can no longer trust you. And it's really hard to get trust back from me. 
I'll trust you implicitly until you give me a reason not to, and then I'm the type of person that once you break that trust, it's so hard for me to trust you again. And this is how the economy of God works. Trust is important. It's listed in the first 10 things he says to focus on. Uh, don't covet. The, next two, the, the last, last is about not coveting. Be content with where you're at this year. This year, really just think about all the stuff you have instead of all the stuff you don't have. I mean, put it in perspective for a second. We have people in Honduras. We're going to have people in, where in Africa are we going? Uganda. And then we're going to India and Turkey, right? So we have people in all those places this, this, this season right now. If you go to any of those places with the least of us, right? Take the least person in here as far as possessions and stuff goes and go to Uganda. You're wealthy, right? Even, even though we don't do homeless right and, and we don't always deal with mentally ill right, they're still taken better care of here in the United States and probably anywhere else in the world. There's a few countries that probably do it better than us, but still, sitting in this room, it makes me think about what I have instead of what I don't have. And when I look at other people's stuff, I shouldn't want that. I should want more God, right? So what's the purpose of the Ten Commandments then? Okay. This is where I'm at. I have a hard time with do's and do nots. Okay? I, I feel like that's why I fail on resolutions. A list of a do and a do not doesn't do well for me because as soon as I mess it up, I'm like, okay, it's all out. I messed it up. It's over. And so when I look at the Ten Commandments, sometimes I feel like it's a list of do's and do nots, but it's not. It's a set of boundaries, right? And so what God set up for us immediately coming out of Egypt and saying, hey, this is how the world's going to work, is he says, here's your boundaries. Don't kill people, right? Don't steal from them. Don't lie. Make God the focus before everything. That's where you're going to start. These are not things that are necessarily actions to take. They're boundaries to respect. So as you're thinking about the new year, where are these boundaries being crossed? Where are you not letting these things guide your life? Where are you not letting these things set your, your, your rules? Is, is church something that's not important to you? Maybe your focus this year is to make what happens at church meaningful. You don't come to church to get the check off on attendance. You come to church to participate in what we do with God and what our church does to the community and what our church does to the world. That's, that's why we come to church. To, to know more about God, to learn. So maybe you embrace that more a little bit this year. Maybe you're one of those people that cuts the corners on taxes or, or business deals. Or, and maybe this year you, you're just going to shore that up a little bit so that your boundaries are intact. That's the goal. It's not a judgment. It's like, hey, live in this area. It's safe. One of the, one of the examples I use with youth is a playground. They did a study years back on, on playgrounds. Playgrounds that had fences and playgrounds that didn't have fences. And they found that if you released kids into a playground that had a fence around the whole thing, they would play, the, they would play in the entire area. They would go fence to fence, right? But if you took that fence away, they played in the very center and never left it. Isn't that crazy? Nobody told them anything. Nobody told them stay away from the street or the fence is safe. They just realized that when there was no fence, the safest place to be was in the middle. Right? And they were very, very limited. But by putting a fence around that, whoever designed that park realized that they would set those kids free to play in the whole thing and feel safe. And that's what God did with these Ten Commandments. He built you a fence and said, this is the area to play in. Have at it. It's not a restriction. It's a de definition of the safe area. So as you're setting up your new year, where is your safe area? Are you, are you confined to this little area of safety because that's all you have and you don't understand the boundaries God has set you free? Or are you able to look at the boundaries and say, I have more room to play? Right? It's amazing. So let's move on because it's not enough just to have boundaries. That's how we live. How do we act? Right? In this new year, what has God told us about how to act? And, and I look at the, the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, basically, it's Latin for blessed. Blessed are you if, right? And these are things, these are action verbs. This is not a passive voice. Matthew is, is, is talking in a very active voice here. He's saying, go out and do this stuff. In Greek, it's very active, okay? Trust me, Greek is really, really complicated. I know very little, and, and, but I do know this. When they're talking in this tense here, they're talking in active tense, and so here they are. There's eight of them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay? So here's the deal. Those eight, we got to live out. The first ten, we got to know and understand that's our boundary with which to act. And then within that, this is how we play. Right? So when you were in kindergarten, they told you the area you could play in, and then they told you how to play. Right? You weren't allowed to hit girls. Like, that was, that was the first rule I remember in kindergarten. Don't hit girls. They didn't say anything about boys, so we hit each other a lot. Um, I don't know what the... Later on, they're like, stop hitting each other, because the fights got more intense, I guess, and they just had to protect the stuff. I don't know. But in kindergarten, it was don't hit the girls, right? You had to get in the line when a whistle blew, right? That's all I knew. We didn't know where the line was going or why they had us in a line. We just know when the whistle blew, it was time to get in the line, right? And if you didn't get in the line when I was a kid, they got the ruler out and they hit your knuckles. Anybody have the, like, knuckle-hitting, you know... People, I went to uh, religious private schools when I was a kid, and so at one point I was in a Catholic school, and nuns are mean. Um, that's all I remember. <laughs> I don't know anything else about the Catholic religion other than the nuns I have met were very mean because um, they hit me a lot. Um, it could have been that I was very unruly, but I don't think that was it. Um, okay, so let's go to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when I first read these, I know as I was growing up, I tried to get these. I, I never understood any of these. And as I, I researched them and talked about them, listened to other people talk about them, these are some things I've kind of come to as to what to do with these. And so the first one is this is our recognition for God. We're poor in spirit. We're born poor in spirit, a state of abject poverty. We have nothing when it comes to God. And he's saying those who recognize how poor in spirit they are, they will get to go to heaven. Do you know God? And see, this is a pursuit that never ends. You'll never get to know God fully. But the more you know him, the more full you become. The more you start to live the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Right? The less things about earth bother you because your focus is on your true citizenship. It's saying, hey, recognize how poor in spirit you are. And the more you recognize that, and the more you pursue fixing that, becoming rich in spirit, the more heaven will start to be real to you. That's a, that's a crazy way to live. Really pursuing and knowing God. Being rich in spirit. It's number one. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Recognize sin. We're not mourning over people or the state of the earth or, or the fact that we're depressed or sad. These are not what mourning is talking about. It's saying, when you read this and you start to understand the words that are being used, it's saying, hey, you're a sinner. Do you realize it? I'm a sinner. Do I realize it? Do I recognize actually how sinful I am? Am I in tune with the fact that day to day I'm catching on to the sins, the way I'm sinning against God and against people? The way I'm invading or pushing those boundaries or making those boundaries something that's comfortable for me and not acceptable to God? Do you realize how sinful you are? Are you exploring that? Are you knowing yourself? Because when you realize how sinful you are and you realize that we are sinful people, you can start taking that richness and spirit from God and changing the way you work. And here's the thing, it won't... It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. But as you start to deal with the sin in your life, you know God fuller. These kind of, kind of things build on each other, and you're able to have a richer spirit, and you're able to live a life that God meant you to live. And in Jeremiah, it tells us God has plans for us, and they're great plans. So when you start adhering to that plan and start dealing with the stuff in your life and you start to realize that God's plan is better than your plan because he's eternal and right now you can only see temporal, it, change, it changes everything. These first two are, are lifelong pursuits, all of these really. 
but really these first two are things you're always going to be dealing with. I love, I love the, the 55 plus in our congregation, right? It's, that's just, I love that because you've given me something to call you um, that I don't feel nervous about calling you. <laughs> uh, but I love watching you guys because I think as you guys get older and wiser, you start to understand better and better how sinful as people we are. And, you, and watching you pursue God is just a pure joy for me. It's one of my favorite things to do because one day I want to be like you. And so I, I, I encourage myself to grow and watch you and, and, and try to identify like you identify because I, I don't want to wait till I'm 55 plus to have what you have. I want it now. And so I try to emulate you because you guys see that so much more clearly than I do, I think. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right? Meek here means do you submit to God's authority? Do you recognize God's authority as ultimate authority? Are you in charge or is God in charge is ultimately what it comes down to. Do you make the calls and the decisions on the important things or do you, you truly seek out and obey God? Meek people aren't weak. They understand authority, right? Meek people follow legitimate authority. It's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of inability. It's a sign of strength. It's, you have to be pretty strong to follow authority well, I think. Because it makes, it makes an understanding of your humbleness versus God's power and authority. So in this new year, are you looking to make God the authority in every aspect of your life? Is it just a few things or is it everything? Now, it will... You'll never probably get to everything. There'll always be something you'll struggle with. But are you focusing on making him the authority as it comes to mind? As you're, as you're confronted with things where he's not authority, are you turning those things over to God? It's a process, not an immediate thing. Like our little girl said, it's not a big thing. It's little things. And you're going to fail. And when you fail, you keep going. Going to be interesting to see. These, these are, this is where my head's been for the last two weeks, trying to work on some of this stuff in my head. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst, the, the, the words here in the original, are a deep, driving passion. Have you ever been really hungry? Like, really hungry? Okay, my kids, when they get really hungry, are crabby. Anybody have crabby kids that, when they get hungry? Like, like ridiculous. Like, they're like... <laughs> I've got a hair out of place. Like, I've got no hair. People, come on. They get, I mean, over the dumbest things because they're hungry. And my kids don't realize they're hungry. And so they get crabby about make. I'm not, I'm not hungry. I'm like, dude, you're hungry. Just eat something. I don't want to eat anything. I'm not hungry. And then as soon as they, like, eat something, it's like a flip, right? 180 degrees difference. And so I'm sure they're glad I shared that with you. Um, but we're like that too. Do you realize that you're hungry? Do you realize that sometimes we're famished for God? As we get older, we start to understand what being hungry, and we start to identify what goes with that, and we eat, and we pursue food, and we pursue something that fills us. Are you doing that spiritually? Are you realizing that spiritually you're hungry? And that when you don't eat, when you don't, when you don't pursue what God has for you in this arena, you get crabby a little bit. You get off. It's the same concept, right? We get off when we're not full of God, when we're not pursuing God, when we're not getting that stuff. We wonder why we can't hear him. We wonder why we can't get into the Bible. We wonder why our prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling. We wonder why work isn't going well. We wonder why relationships are falling apart. And it's like, dude, you're hungry. Just eat something. I mean, that's my message to my kids, but it needs to be my message to me. Just eat something. There's so much there. There's discipleship groups. There's Just go out with a friend and talk about God. I mean, that's my favorite thing to do is to sit over food, like, like food food, and, and get spiritual food, right? And talk about what God, what's going on in our lives. I have several friends I get to do that with. Ted is one of them. Blessed are the merciful, so they have shown mercy. You reap what you sow, people. God gave you mercy. Do we know what mercy is? My students should. What's mercy? I've given you this definition like a billion times. Come on. So sad to my heart right now. Come on, what's mercy? Come on, what's mercy? I know you know. Yeah. 
It's, it's getting what? What you don't deserve. Okay, it's God giving you what you don't deserve. Grace is not getting what we deserve. Okay, grace is God saying, hey, you deserve death for sin. I provided a way out. It's grace through Christ Jesus. Mercy is him saying, hey, not only do you get out, do you get grace, but you get mercy. I'm going to give you things that aren't attainable anywhere else on, on earth. I'm going to give you what peace. I'm going to give you joy. I'm going to give you things that only can come from God. I'm going to give you satisfaction in work and in play. This is mercy. And, and we are showered in it daily when we don't deserve it. And God says, hey, look, blessed are those who realize that they have been immersed in mercy and immerse others in it. The most attractive thing you can do as a Christian in this world is show mercy. It's something that non-Christians can't possibly understand or grasp because they haven't been bathed in it like we have. Until you experience grace, you truly can't understand mercy. And you have mercy. It is the most attractive thing thing we have. Do you forgive people when they don't deserve it? Do you work with people who are difficult? I struggle with that. If you're difficult, I don't want to work with you. I just, I, I just don't. I'm, I'm horrible at that. I have to really, really work to show mercy in those situations. Really work to show mercy in those situations. Because I see things for me so clearly, and I don't realize that not everybody else sees my clear vision, right? Mainly because I don't communicate it to anybody. I just expect everybody to know, right? And so when they don't, I get frustrated and I struggle with mercy. How many of you guys find yourself in a similar situation? Maybe for different reasons. Maybe people just annoy you. People can be annoying. I've been told that about me, right? I, I have a tendency to annoy. It's, it's one of my spiritual gifts. <laughs> but people show me mercy daily and so do I return it. Blessed are those who are mercy. Because God, it, it, and this is a clear concept throughout all of Scripture. Read James if you're not sure. Mercy is given to those who show mercy. The more mercy you show, the more God gives you mercy in your world. Mercy is not a right. It's something God doles out as he pleases. It's something given. It's a gift. You want more mercy in your life? You're needing more mercy in your life? Be merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Are you pursuing the righteousness of Christ? Are you starting to root out the things that make you unpure? And are you dealing with them? He, goes, he says, Matthew uh, is repeating Jesus here, and he says, hey, when you do this, you'll see God. You'll literally see and feel and hear God. How many people this year have been in a place where they didn't, don't understand why they couldn't hear or see or feel God? That you felt like you were missing out. Like the ceiling had been permanently put above you and you weren't getting through. Are you, are you seeking out righteousness? Because when you do, you see God. How many guys could do with a dose of God this year? More than you have. I know I could. And so it's telling me, hey, start seeking purity in everything you do. Righteousness in everything. Not, not stuff that comes from us. Don't act righteous. Embrace the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. We're told our righteousness is from him, his righteousness. And so when I start pursuing that, it starts taking over and I see him clearly and it makes me able to pursue more. This one always confused me. Blessed are the peacemakers. Okay, so I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to go out and stop fights. Right? I'm supposed to go out and make peace. Quit arguing. Be harmonious. But that's not what this is speaking to at all. When you accepted Christ, I don't know about you, but for me, when I accepted Christ, I had an overwhelming, over, completely overwhelming, like I broke down, could not breathe sense of peace. That everything was okay, that God was in control, and that I was finally covered. It was, it was, such, an, it was such an overwhelming sense of peace that it kept me from, from literally killing myself, Right? I went from desperation to peace in, in a night. And it's a, it, it, the Bible describes it as a peace beyond all understanding. And I get that. I don't understand it, but I get it. Because I cannot explain to you the overwhelming feeling that night of going from desolation to peace. And it says, blessed are those of you that take that where you go. 
Do you take that piece, that precious gift of Christ in your life, and do you share that in your actions and in your words to the people around you? Do you express to people who are in that same sense of desolation, in that same sense of lost, just absolute despair, and do you say, hey, I know a place where you can go for peace in all of this. I know a God that delivers a peace that will take you from where you are to something that's beyond description. I wish I could tell you how different it would be. Do you give people hope for that? Because that's the life. First mercy, then peace. Do you show mercy? Do you, do you take people the way they are and love them despite the way they are? And then do you give them the opportunity to know peace like you know it? Man, this is what... You've been adopted by God. God will call you and, and name you out as a son and daughter of God when you do this. In the first two commandments, the greatest are, are love God and, and, and love others, right? But then he follows that up right before he leaves with go out in the whole world and tell them about this peace. Don't sit still. And he names areas where you can do this, local, right, right where you are, in your state, in your greater community, and then in the world. Are you participating in that? And for those who can't go, are you helping those that can? Are you spreading peace? What an amazing thought for the new year. Okay, I would, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm a short time guy right now at this point, right? But before I leave, my prayer and my hope is that I contribute to these seats being filled, not so we have more people, but so more people daily are hearing about Christ and able to take it, not here, because Sunday's just a, a, a rally point, right? We learn here, we grow here, so that through the week we can take peace to the rest of the world. And if we did that, and this place was full of peacemakers, could you imagine what would happen in just this city? If this place was full of people who took peace to our city, I don't care what the government does, we would be okay. I don't, I don't care what's going on in the world around us. We would be okay because that's the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Nothing can, can stop it. I just That's my dream and thought of, of the amazing things that would happen if this place was full of peacemakers. And the cool thing about here is when it says we'll be called the sons of God, I suspect when I read this that it's talking about how other people identify us, not just how God identifies us. What if people looked at this church and said, man, I don't know what Christianity is supposed to be about, but that church does it right. That church loves us. That church takes care of us. That church tells us about God. They tell us a truck is coming in to get out of the way, right? God, that would be awesome. Blessed are those who are persecuted. This is not going to be easy. When you do this, you, you, you realize we're actively at spiritual war. And as long as you're not doing anything, I don't have to, I, if, I, if I'm planning a war against you and you're pretty much this person that sits on the sidelines in a civilian, I don't plan for you. Honestly, I don't care about you. I care about the warriors, right? I put this in coaching terms because I coached for years. For you guys that played sports, how often did your coach say, hey, we need to be worried about this guy, this guy, and this guy? If we can stop this guy, this guy, and this guy, we'll win. Why? Why are those guys the focus? Or girls, the focus. It's because they are the warriors. They are the battlers on the team. And if you can control them, you control the whole battle. And so as soon as you start being peacemakers and start showing mercy and start doing that, you're going to be persecuted by those around you who don't understand it and, and by a spiritual adversary who wants to destroy you and destroy anything that has to do with God. And so here's the deal. Expect it to not be easy. I wish I could tell you the Christian life is easy. Once you accept Christ, it's, you know, all butterflies and rainbows and unicorns and Skittles. Because who doesn't like a Skittle? Right? But it's not. It's hard. It's hard because you, you have a sinful nature. The wor world is, is sinful and we fall to that sometimes. Here's the thing. You're going to fail. I tell my engineering students, you will fail. Matter of fact, if you're not failing, you're not trying for anything great. You're just doing what's been done before you, and you're accepting the status quo. 
But if you want to be great, if you want to have a great walk with Christ, be willing to fail and get back up and let Christ dust you off and start you over. Because when you shoot for greatness in Christ, you will be opposed. And sometimes it'll be more than you can handle and you'll fail. But our God shows mercy. Our God gives grace and peace. What an amazing thought for the new year. So then here's the last part. What happens if we do this? See, here's the deal. We grow. You're not done growing until you die. Okay? Now, some of you get stagnant. I get stagnant at points. There's points where we're not growing like we should be. But the purpose is to grow. Here's the result of growth. Okay? This is not what you should obtain to do. This is, should, this is what comes out of doing those things. Right? So think about that for a second. A lot of times I would read this and be like, okay, I've got to be more patient. I've got to be more kind. I've got to be more loving. I've, I've, got, to have, I've got to be gentle because I'm not gentle. So I've got to be gentle. Add that to the list like 20 times in between every other one. Gentle, 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 gentle. Because I'm not a gentle man. Right? By nature. Or by practice sometimes. Um, but I used to look at these as, as reverse order. But what I started to realize is I live out the Beatitudes and I start to take those actions. This is what comes out of me, right? When I'm truly trying to put mercy first, I become gentle. When, when, I, when I truly am seeking God and I'm living within these safe boundaries, I become loving. It just becomes, it just becomes out of me. See, it's fruit. This is what a tree produces when it's healthy. This is what you produce when you're healthy. How great of a year would it be if these were the things you produced all year? Not just for the people around you, but for you. This is the one place we get to think about us. Where God says, think about what it would be like for you if this is who you were. If this is not how you defined you, but how other people defined you. If other people looked at you and said, man, that is a gentle person. How many of you don't like gentle people? Like, they're, un, they're, un, it's, they're, they're, they're annoyingly impossible not to like, right? Gentle people, you just can't help but like them, right? If somebody's loving and shows mercy, how, how hard is it to be their friend? How hard, matter of fact, you're drawn to those people. Wouldn't it be cool if instead of having to go out and convince people about Christ, they were drawn to us because of who we are and we got to tell them why? Wouldn't that be an amazing concept? I don't have to go out and sell you Christ. You're coming to me saying, what the heck do you have that I don't? And I get to tell you it has nothing to do with me. Let me introduce you to Christ. Let me introduce you to peace. Let me show you a mercy that is beyond comprehension. That despite me, you know, despite who I am, despite the fact that I am not a natural, gentle person, God has made me into somebody who can be. And despite that I'm not naturally merciful, God has showered me with so much mercy, I can't help but let it overflow into other people's lives. Let me tell you about how it is to be like that and how you can be like that. That would be amazing. Not by, by what I do, but what, what Christ does in me that overflows into other people. So as you're going through, we're, we're, we're done here at this point, but I want you to just think about this in this order. Okay? I don't think you can do this out of order. Do you understand your boundaries? Do you get that the, the Ten Commandments and the laws and the stuff of the Bible are your boundaries, not to restrict you, but to set you free? The New Testament says that Christ came to set the captives free. We were captive by sin. We had no choice but to play in this little area of sin. It's all we knew. It's all we could do. Before you knew Christ, you had no other option other than sin. And once you knew Christ... You have sin, you can still choose it, but now you can choose righteousness. What an amazing concept. Do you know your boundaries? Are you willing to let those dictate your life? Once you do that, are you willing to start taking action and start to allow God to work in you to take action in certain areas that are just real simple, eight simple things? And out of that, are you willing to grow and, and, and let that show to the world what Christ can do in you? That's the best message we have. So that's my prayer for you. My advice to you is don't try to do it all at once. Right? Pick areas in your life as you're sitting here. Some of these resonated with you. Start there. 
Start in that place. Start dealing with things. And as God brings other stuff up, be willing to work on those. Don't be afraid of failure. Don't be afraid of messing it up. Continue to work and develop. I'm telling you, if you do that in a year, this church will be a different place. Not that it's a bad place now. It's an amazing place. I brag about this church. To everywhere I go and everywhere I talk, I brag about this place. But God's not done with us yet. God has more. And I want to encourage you to take that wherever you're at in your walk, in your work, and in your life and use that. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're not done with us. Thank you that you see so much more than we do and are willing to share with us your plan. God, help us start to put things in order this year. As we, uh, as we move out in the year, God, let us know where our safe area to operate is and let us operate freely in that, in you. God, let us grow, let us develop, let us pursue you. God, for those of you who don't, sitting in here right now, that don't know you. God, I just pray right now that they're willing to acknowledge it, it's so simple. If you're sitting in here and you don't know Christ and, and you want the things that we're talking about, but you don't understand how to get it, it starts with knowing Christ. And so I invite you right now to say a real simple prayer. It goes like this. You can say it with me. God, I'm a sinner. My boundaries, everything is out of whack, and I want to know you, and I want to know a life that's possible through you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life, and let me follow you. Let me understand what it means and grow in you. God, I come to you right now and ask you to be my Savior. The Bible says if you do that, immediately your sins are forgiven. And you get to know God and the peace and the mercy, unrelenting peace and mercy that never quits. For those of you sitting in here that have stuff, I just want you to take a minute and acknowledge the one or two things God is putting on your heart right now to start working on it and ask him to join you in that process because you can't do it on your own. You can't fix things by yourself. The only way we grow, the only way we adjust is if we do it with God standing on our side. And so, God, I pray right now that you release this congregation to know you deeper, to pursue you just in an amazing way. God, thank you for all you do and all you are. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.